Read with me, if you will, in Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, referring to Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him. No, not, without, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not, for he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion setting. Luke's account in Luke 8 says he's setting at the feet of Jesus. He was not only setting, he was clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And they that, <clears throat> they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. A lot of times I take just a few verses, but I wanted to read the entire account to you today because I think it's important that we see exactly what's happening to this man. He is in an impossible situation. He's at a place where he's struggling. Really, there's three hard cases found here in this chapter in Mark. In Mark chapter five, we read of a woman that had an incurable disease. We read of a child that was dead and we read of a man that's possessed with devils. Now all three of those can reach a place where that only Jesus can make the difference. Now you can have some disease and get better from it, but there's some disease if Jesus doesn't touch you, 
then nothing's going to happen. And a dead person can only come to life because of Jesus. And someone that is possessed of devils can only be free through Jesus. He's the answer to all three of those hard cases. And you know, we'll see times in life where that we want someone to be different, but yet it's so hard to see that happen. And that's really what's taking place here. I wanna focus in on this man and just give you maybe two or three brief points to think about and to consider. Number one, I think we ought to look at what the devil did for him. If I could ever get people that are in sin to stop and ask this question, I think it would change their attitude about where they're at and make them turn to the Lord. If they would ask one question, what has the devil ever done for me? He never does anything good for anybody. But for some reason, we seem, we seem though we're just distracted as though he doesn't exist. He's good at disguising himself, but you trust me, Satan is alive and well, and there's still powers and forces of evil and demons or devils that exist and evil spirits that exist. But when you sum it all up, you'll never find where the devil has ever done anything good for anybody and the devil did nothing good for him. He secluded this man. The Bible says in Luke's account that the man neither abode in any house. He took him away from his place of living. He secluded him from society. He cut him off from everybody that cared about him. And that's what the devil would love to do to all of us. Seclude us, get us alone, make us feel alone, make us feel as though nobody cares or that the Lord doesn't care. Or where are you, Lord? Where's my friends at? Why aren't they here? He would love to make us all feel that way to try to get us secluded. Not only did he seclude him, but he stripped him. He stripped him from his family. He stripped him from his finances. He stripped him from his friends. Not only was he stripped of his clothing, but he was stripped of things way more valuable than the possessions that he has. To be cut off from your friends, from your family, not be able to get near them. He stripped him of everything that was any, of any importance whatsoever to him. Also, he scarred him. He cut himself with stones. Now when he cut immediately, those, those places don't develop the scar then. But bear in mind, anything that the devil does to us, it leaves a scar later on. That's a separate sermon in itself. But the devil wants to put scars on your life until you feel as though every time you look at those, it'll take you back to the time that he controlled your life. And the devil was scarring this man, brought him to the place where he thought there was nothing worth living for. Why was he cutting himself? He was suicidal. He was trying to take his life. See, that's the difference between Jesus and the devil. The devil wants to kill you. Jesus wants to give you life. So here he is. He is secluded. He is stripped. But not only do we see what Satan did for him, but look what society did for him. It's kind of like today we've got problems that society doesn't have the answer to. I mean, they're trying. They tried something. I'm not saying they're wrong for not trying, for trying something. I think it was wise that they tried something. This man was uncontrollable. And they were just trying different things, anything they thought that would work. 
I suppose, first of all, they probably said, let's sit him down, let's talk to him. If someone could just talk to him and convince him, do you know something? You can't counsel the devil. You can't reason with the devil. He's got his own agenda. He's going to do what he wants to do. And there's no way that you can counsel with evil, that you can get evil to change its mind. Evil had possessed this man. Now evil is speaking for this man. Evil is controlling this man. And no longer can they sit down and educate him. We can't educate our problems out of our society. Sin can't be educated. You can't teach someone enough to make a difference in their life. Give them all the education they want and you can try to train them. I am not against education. I'm just saying that education is not the answer to a life that is bound by sin. Knowing the Bible and believing the Bible is two separate things. So if you know it and don't apply it, it does you no good. He was at a state of mind now where no longer could you educate him because he was no longer able to to reason any whatsoever. A reasonable person doesn't live like this. A reasonable person doesn't take their family and cut them off and try to destroy that. A reasonable person doesn't do that. It's the devil that's done this to him. We say, well, let's try education. After they tried education, they said, no, what he needs is he needs to be bound. So they would put chains on him and fetters on him and he had, he had supernatural strength. Do you know the devil has a lot of power? And this supernatural strength, he would just throw the chains asunder, break them off, and keep going. And and they couldn't bind him. So that's what our society does. First we say, let's use education. And then if we can't educate our way out of it, let's use incarceration. We build more jails and build more jails and build more jails. Every city I go into, you can drive around it and the newest buildings around anywhere are are jails trying to incarcerate the problem. The only problem of it is we, we cannot, we cannot change people just by incarceration at all and that's it. I'm not against the laws of the land. People are worthy of jail. I realize that. Some of us probably should have been in jail at a time or two in our life. We realize that. Well, that didn't get many amens. That's why I love you all. You're so holy, so righteous. (laughs) I better move on. So we think we're incarcerated. But we can do all the incarcerating we want. It's not the answer. Now that would be a hopeless account if I could just tell you what society did and tell you what Satan did Horrible what this man's gone through. But don't let me stop with that. Let's look what Jesus did for him. Because this is where the story really starts to change. The first thing I think that we can say, and it's very obvious, is Jesus saved him. I mean, his life was ruined. He felt like he had nothing to live for. He had lost total control of his life. But Jesus saved him from all of that. 
And that's exactly what Jesus does. I'll preach this until the day I die. I don't think people need, need just religion. I don't think that they need just a reformation. I think they need regeneration. I think they need to be saved and only Jesus can save us. It's not what we were, it's what we are after Jesus saves us from our sin. We are a different person. Can you read any difference in this man's life after that he met Jesus and before he met Jesus? Did you see the change in his life? There's things that change in all of our lives. Things that we did, we don't do. Things that we didn't do, we now do. There's always a change when Jesus comes. He saved me. Old Dr. B.R. Lakin gave the account years ago when he was living. I remember listening to him preach in a message and he, he said that he was flying to his next revival one time and reflecting on the trip that he had made and a stewardess passed by on the airplane and said to him, would you like a drink? And he said, no, thank you. Said, ma'am, I got saved. And when Jesus saved me, he took the hog out of me and ain't never had to slop him since. That's what Jesus does. I'm not saying that you don't have temptations. I'm not saying that you may fail. I'm not saying that the devil won't try to come back and use those things against you. But hallelujah, isn't it good to be saved today and know that the things that used to hold us and bind us no longer bind us anymore because he saved us. Jesus saved him. Something else, Jesus sat with him. Everything you read about this man was torture, torturing himself, probably wanted to torture others. That was their main fear. If he gets loose in the community, what will he do? You know, there's some concerns that's, that's legitimate. I travel the same roads every day and I see people and, and well, maybe I ought not say this, but I'm gonna do anyway. I see people that are bound by drugs. There's an individual not far from here that it breaks my heart every time I see them. They don't know they're in this world. They walk the highway unaware of what they're doing. I don't believe they like that. I don't believe they enjoy that. But they're bound. I wish somebody would help me preach this morning. I'm all in favor of having education and trying to train people and help people, but if we don't get them to Jesus, the education just doesn't seem to work. The incarceration doesn't seem to work. It's not that I'm against the other things, it's just you've gotta get somebody in their right mind before they can understand the right truth. And that's what the devil wants to do. Keep them at a place where they can't understand, where they can't reason. And your heart breaks for those individuals. And then oftentimes when I see people like this, I saw a man one time, I was driving downtown, and I saw him in a fight with a building. He had hit the building so much with his fist, his hands were bleeding, dripping blood, and in his mind, I'm sure he thought he was fighting a person. Yep. 
And when I look at people like that, I don't look at them with condemnation. I look at them with pity because I think if they could just meet this Jesus, if they could just experience his power, if I went through this sanctuary this morning, I'll guarantee you people could pull out numbers, numbers of sin and give you details of their sinful past, of things that held them. But aren't you glad for the day that you met Jesus and finally you were able to get some rest? You weren't trying to search through the world to find something to satisfy. You weren't trying to destroy your life. Finally, you found a reason to live. Finally, you found a reason to love. And it all happened because of Jesus. He's sitting in his mind at the feet of Jesus. And you know what? The community was afraid. Isn't that strange? They were afraid before, now they're afraid after. Because they couldn't understand. That tells us how mankind has put himself above God. And they were thinking that if they couldn't fix this man, nobody could fix this man. But I know the one that can fix anybody's life, fix my life, your life, and anybody else that will come to him. And his name is Jesus. Not only that, but Jesus sent him. He saved him. He sat with him. And then he's sinning. Well, where do you get that? This man lived among the tombs. By the way, you know what's in a cemetery and you know why they call them tombs. Tombstones are in a cemetery. And tombstones, that tombstone is a marker of memories. So he lived in the place of past memories. And there is dwelling there in this place of past memories of others. And he feels comfortable among the dead. He would rather be with dead people than people that's alive. He felt more comfortable being among dead folks than he was among live folks. I know a lot of people today, they're more comfortable sitting in a dead church than a live church. But I'm glad that I go to a church that's still alive. And we're not embarrassed to say amen. We're not embarrassed to shout. We're not embarrassed to run the aisles. We're not embarrassed to praise the Lord. I'd rather be among the living any day as to be among the dead. There was a time when I was dead and I was comfortable among the dead. But when I came to life in Christ and he gave me new life, glory be to God, it's never been the same since. That's why the church, it's not even sick. It's alive and doing well. Soon and very soon, Jesus is gonna call and he's gonna come and I wanna be a church that's alive for Christ. Churches all across this country will start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull today. And we wonder why people don't get saved. It takes life. And he knows that Jesus did this. So his thought is, I don't want to leave you. I want to stay with you. And Jesus said, remember, 
the point Jesus sent him? I think he wanted to do a good thing by going with Jesus. But Jesus knows the best thing. It's not that some things are wrong, it's that some things are better. And he said, no, go home. Tell your friends what great things the Lord had done. You're a living testimony now. They're gonna look at you and say, are you the same person? Is that the same man? Is this really the same individual? And when they ask you, what made the difference? You tell them, Jesus made the difference. Years ago, there was an old preacher by the name of Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter, there's a lot of accounts in his life. Uh, Mel Trotter had such a problem with alcohol that uh, he, wouldn't hold, he couldn't hold a job. He just stayed drunk constantly. His wife had to keep the family going and he would take things from the house and take it to the pawn shop and pawn it off to get another drink of liquor. The story's told uh, that even his little girl, when she died, he asked him if he could be alone with her for a little while when she was lying in state. And the story's told that Mel Trotter asked them to leave the room and when they left the room, there was one or two that stayed behind. And Mel Trotter reached down and took the shoes off of his baby girl that had died to sell them for another drink of alcohol. If that's the end of the story, that would be terrible. One day, at Pacific Garden Mission, Mel Trotter met Jesus and his life changed forever. They said one of the first places that he went was to the grave of his little girl and he bowed his head at her tombstone and he wept bitter tears and said, I am so sorry. He said, but oh, if you only knew, you've got a new daddy now. I'm not the one that I used to be. The devil will get you to do all kinds of things that you wouldn't normally do. He's good at deceiving us. He's had 6,000 years of practice at it. And he'll get us to do all kinds of things that we never thought we would do. But may I remind you, Jesus can undo everything that the devil did. And today, if you leave this place, you have no excuse whatsoever when you meet the Lord because you can't say they didn't tell me at that church that I needed Jesus and they didn't tell me that Jesus could change my life and that Jesus could set me free. They didn't tell me any of those things. Oh no, I'm doing my best to tell you. You've heard it in the songs today. You're hearing it in the message. Jesus saves.